Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collaborative Edges, conversations to inspire initiatives across languages and cultures. I'm Rocio Quispe Añali, professor of Hispanic studies at Michigan State University and the host of Collaborative Edges. Today, we will talk about Arabic identities across the Mediterranean and beyond with Michigan State University faculty, Camelia Suleiman, Safwa Babana Hampton, and Mark Bernstein. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Sabah al khair. Thank you. Uh, between November 1st and 3rd this year, the conference Blurring Boundaries, Arabic Identities Across the Mediterranean and Beyond took place at Michigan State University. Our guests today organized this event and or made presentations. Before we start conversations, could you please introduce yourselves and your connections to the conference topic, Camelia? Okay, I'm Camelia Soliman, and I'm an assistant professor in Arabic study, and I'm a co-organizer of the conference. Safwa? Hi, uh, my name is Safwa Babana Hampton. I'm associate professor of French and Francophone studies in the Department of Romance and Classical Studies, and I filled the modest role of moderator of one of the panels uh, of the symposium that Mark and Camelia uh, organized. Thank you. Mark? I'm Mark Bernstein, professor of Hebrew and Israeli cultural studies and core faculty in Jewish and Muslim studies programs at MSU. And together with Camilla, uh, we uh, organized and coordinated the conference. Thank you. It's great having you today. So let me start with um, a question to, uh, uh, for Camelia. Um, in, in the conference uh, or in the announcements of the conference, you mentioned or it is mentioned we and the other. Uh, could you tell us who are we and who is the other? Um, this is a question that has become increasingly complex in late modern times due to the effects of globalization. In the Arabic-speaking context, um, it is mentioned that another force is driving this question in addition to globalization. Could you, Camelia, tell us what force is this one and how it affects the Arabic world today? Okay, thank you, Rocio. Um, well, we're talking about the legacy of colonialism here, which the Arab world shares with other uh, people, not just for the Arabs. But if we examine the Arab Spring, which started in 2011, it was a local reaction to globalization. It challenged the post-colonial order after independence and dictatorship, as well as economic uh, inequity in the Arab world. When the state starts to collapse, the entire order is shattered by organizations such as the Islamic State or uh, the demands for independence such as in the Kurdish uh, case. And I'm not comparing the Islamic State to the uh, Kurdish uh, request in that, uh, you know. Um, we see that uh, uh, this shattering is manifested in economic, linguistic and technological terms. We see mobility of people, too. The flip side of all of this is we see migration to the north. We see refugees. So the periphery collapsed and is moving to the metropole. And uh, that's why I thought that, uh, you know, it is necessary at this time to talk about what's happening with the Arabic-speaking people and boundaries or lack of and uh, human movement. Yes, and especially these this blurry boundaries, what uh, remains as periphery, what becomes the center, and th they are all uh, moving. These are spaces that are, are moving yes. uh, constantly. Yes. Now, um, 
Thank you, Camelia. I would like uh, to know from each of you, how do you approach this question from your respective fields or areas of study? Safwa? Um, the question of self and, and other, or uh, the question of identity and otherness uh, has been around for a very long time, and it's not uh, specific to any single disciplinary territory. Uh, but what does happen is that every uh, time we witness uh, global shifts, uh, important shifts, uh, political, social, economic, at a local, national, or global scale, this question is re-examined from the perspective of the contemporary moment. Uh, so there are long-existing and renewed debates on this question, not only in my field of Francophone postcolonial studies, but in the humanities and social sciences, sciences more broadly. Uh, my critical study of expressions and constructions of otherness and alterity attended, among other things, to cultural productions of French minorities of North African descent uh, in France, uh, mainly in mainland France. Uh, and problematizing the binary we versus others is often tied to a critique of authoritarian, normative, and hegemonic structures of thought and power that sustain various forms of domination exclusion and marginalization uh, and create a precarious sense of citizenship among these minorities uh, in this specific post-colonial and global, uh, global eras. There's a familiar underlying theme that runs through many of these narratives and that takes different expressions. That theme evokes uh, often times again the idea that the second abolition of French slavery in 1848 and the decolonization in former French colonies did not really lead uh, to true emancipation of humanities, of humanity in these uh, locations. Uh, it's believed that it didn't truly lead to liberating and to decolonizing the minds. There is an interest in exploring the ways in which the French Republican model of integration paradoxically both creates and makes invisible cultural difference. Uh, because of the contradictions upon which the French Republican model itself is founded. Uh, so on the one hand, it perceives representation of difference, uh, so cultural difference, otherness, as a threat, as an existential threat to social cohesion and national identity. Uh, and on the other hand, it narrow, its narrowly defined view of the nation excludes French citizens with different histories and uh, specific uh, cultural uh, heritages from the national narrative uh, in which the notions of unity, uh, homogeneity uh, are central. Uh, the reason is believed to reside in the continued existence of hierarchical racial and social structures that enabled and legitimized colonial rule and violence. The kind of critical reflection developed in these works often considers forms that resistance to this reality can take today in order to expand the definition of history, of culture, of the nation, and of humanity, uh, simply speaking. Uh, and so to go back the, to the blurring the boundaries, uh, the theme of blurring the boundaries, that was the uh, focus uh, of the symposium organized by Camille and Mark. Uh, so in this sense, blurring the boundaries uh, becomes a necessary subversive act and critical intervention that allows for reimagining the foundations of citizenship, of French citizenship, uh, in the eyes of these minorities uh, who feel excluded from that. 
uh, from access to full citizenship. So reimagining it involves uh, recreating it beyond the narrowly defined categories of identity uh, that are largely inspired by the French universalist Jacobinist model of citizenship, a model that's also behind prevailing nationalist versions of history in France. Yeah, I think one 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 uh, thing that comes up from what uh, you just said so far is this idea, and this this will be part of our conversation. Whether uh, how does this oppose uh, nationalism or uh, movements, national movements? To, towards a homogeneous, um, unified nation, right? But also, you mentioned that it's uh, blurring the boundaries, it's subversive. I agree with you. And at the same time, I think it's unavoidable. It, it's, it, it has to happen, and it, it will happen. And what you are saying, it's, it's, I, I see it in other... Um, I think it's in, in the human societies in, in general. And uh, Mark, I would like to know, how do you uh, have studied this idea of we and the other in, in, in your area and Jewish studies and Muslim studies as well? Well, Rocio, I just wanted to say, I think your point about the, the sort of the positive side of looking at uh, blurring the boundaries, that is, and I, the title of your podcast, Collaborative Edges, I think it very much gets to that, that there's a, this can be a, a, a springboard for positive conversation about ways in which people can collaborate across cultures, and that's precisely what is at the core of my own research and teaching interests. Um, I work both in the contemporary period and also historically in the intersection of Jewish and Muslim civilizations in Arabic and Hebrew language. Um, I look at the ways typically in which minorities construct identity and senses of belonging within the context of the hegemonic majority, looking both at the way, on the one hand, Jewish populations in the Arabic-speaking Muslim world historically, and in the contemporary world, the ways in which Palestinian Israelis seek to integrate into the society. Um, in terms of my work on Judeo-Arabic, which is the language that was spoken by the Jewish communities who lived in the Arabic-speaking world for 15 centuries uh, and who created one of the most important Jewish civilizations in history, I look specifically at the uh, stories of the prophets' literature. These are popular tales about figures who appear both in the Bible, the Hebrew Bible and the Quran. And I seek to demonstrate the ways in which the transfer of cultural artifacts can take place across linguistic, religious, cultural bounds and actually blur those boundaries and, as we said, in a collaborative way. And my book on the Jewish and Muslim figure of Joseph, Yusuf, Stories of Joseph, Narrative Migrations Between Judaism and Islam, takes up this issue of depth with regard to the dialogue between Jews and Muslims over figures held sacred by both. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, uh, Kameli, I would like to... Uh uh, go back to you and see how, uh, be also because of your background in linguistics, how do you see this uh, uh, movement towards uh, blurring boundaries in, in terms of language in the mm -hmm. Arab world? Yes. My field as a field, linguistics, has witnessed a paradigm shift more towards post-structuralism and more towards uh, destabilizing the concept of language and what we mean when we say language and its boundaries and what is the standard, etc. But uh, this research is done at the center, not the periphery. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, we examine how language is destabilized at the center. We use terms like super diversity, like diversity within diversity in the European city that is uh, holding all of these uh, immigrants coming from the south. But what about the periphery? We still do research on the periphery that is essentialist at best and loaded with Orientalist baggage, I would say, and we need to catch up. And I was hoping that by organizing this conference that we get people to talk about the limits of our paradigms and how we could break them and speak with other linguists and with a broader field of linguistics and social sciences. I, that's very interesting, the limits of the paradigm. Yeah, and how, if, if whether they can be questioned, they are questioned and they can be broken and extended and changed, etc. And this brings me to this uh, presentation that, that Mark made during the conference about rap music. Rap music and media and cinema. And I, I would like to ask you, Mark, how does rap or popular music um, becomes a medium to talk about blurring boundaries in the Arabic world and beyond? Well, I'm by no means a musicologist, and as my kids would be very quick to point out, certainly no expert in rap. But this work reflects my continuing interest in the construction of identity by Palestinians who live in Israel and have Israeli citizenship. In the case of Tamir Nafar, the, both the protagonist and the creator, writer, co-writer of the film Junction 48, which we screened as part of the conference, and the preeminent Palestinian-Israeli rapper, I look to both his music and his lyrics and the, his film work in which rap becomes a medium for social protest. And in some ways, this is similar to earlier work I did on the Palestinian-Israeli writer and friend, my friend, Said Kashua, who in similar ways tries to blur the boundaries, again, collaboratively, let's say, between Israeli Arab and Israeli Jew in the sitcom he created and starred in Arab labor. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, I found your uh, presentation um, very uh, appealing. I was very intrigued by it because when I was listening to your presentation about rap and, uh, yeah, uh, it's a generational thing, so rap doesn't speak to me and uh, however it's a subversive force as you say and then I was thinking that reminds me uh, the what we call in Latin America the music of social protest of the 1970s with these um, uh, um, singers who were also composers of their own music and they all have they all speak of social justice and inequalities in our different Latin American countries and the most among the most famous Mercedes Sosa and Silvio Rodriguez Pablo Milanes uh, uh, the, the, lat, the last two from Cuba you know Cuba that has lived in uh, an oppression for a long time so and I was thinking uh, that uh, I was able to make the connection, okay, what you were explaining about rap is the way I felt in the 1970s or 80s about the social, uh, or the music of uh, social protest in, at the time. That's fascinating. You know, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it, 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 I had flashback memories. You know, so that's that's the way I felt right. in the 1970s and 80s with that kind of music. Well, yeah. and I think, th- again, just the very fact that in this case, Tamar Nafar, the artist and, and film star, is using rap, which is a black American, uh, African-American uh, art form developed here to 
uh, in some ways, lodge similar protests against the society in which he lives. Which now also I, I would like to say that that kind of music in the 70s and the 80s, um, the music of social protest in Latin America was considered highly subversive, left wing, you know, and all the labels you can you can think right. of. So, OK, um, I would like to go back now to uh, the topic, the related topic of self-identification and representations. And, and Safwai, you have worked on these uh, in North Africa, specifically Morocco, but also in your documentary films in the global Hmong community. How do you perceive uh, this idea of blurry boundaries when Moroccans and monks answer questions about identity, when you ask them, who you are and, 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 and how, how do you feel or how do you identify um, yourself? Yeah, uh, at the core of uh, discovering these, uh, the stories of these refugees and listening to their uh, testimonials was uh, also the recognition uh, that th the processes that lead them from uh, the moment of uh, being nothing uh, as a result, as a uh, direct uh, result of the war and its devastations, the experience of refugee camps uh, are, are very, um, so these processes are very uh, unique uh, and they uh, enlighten us also on what is involved in identity construction uh, in diasporic situations, what are the processes through which these communities uh, go through in order, in order to rebuild their sense of uh, identity and to rebuild devastated lives. Uh, so to me, the Hmong refugee testimonials uh, that uh, appear in the films, the, the two films, Hmong Memory at the Crossroads and Grown Up Hmong at the Crossroads, uh, they challenge traditional markers of identity and the artifice of borders. Uh, so they make it more palpable that the borders, the idea of boundaries, is is a construct, uh, is uh, is an artifice. Uh, whether those boundaries demarcate territories, languages, cultures, um, and so border crossing uh, f uh, in the accounts that uh, appear in in the films, uh, in the personal narratives of these refugees that uh, were interviewed. Uh, so border crossing becomes a um, foundational element of their diasporic identities. So the minutes that they uh, uh, move into new lands and begin to create new reference uh, points, new bearings, uh, border crossing, uh, it's impossible to imagine and to understand their identities outside this uh, notion of border crossing. So border crossing is also at the heart of all the transcultural expressions of identities, even in the case of communities that I referred to earlier, uh, French minorities of North African descent. Uh, so whether it's real or imaginary uh, and blurring boundaries, and I was reminded as I was hearing Camilla and, uh, and Mark's uh, own uh, accounts based on their own work, uh, that often these minorities that experience forms of exclusion or marginalization or invisibility often resort to models of identity construction that come from outside the confines of the national uh, borders uh, in which they find themselves. Uh, and so whether it's African-American rap or, you know, uh, solidarities with other minority groups uh, who experience similar forms of discrimination, uh, we find that, uh, you know, 
that space uh, provides them alternative ways of defining themselves and affirming their sense of belonging uh, and also to legitimate their histories and their stories because of those affiliations that they establish with other communities but outside nationalist uh, frameworks. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, you know, in the case of uh, French minorities uh, of North African descent, uh, there is an interest in reimagining their relationship with the French uh, nation, uh, but by uh, drawing also on models for uh, uh, models for uh, uh, identity construction uh, that were uh, that came from other traditions uh, and other uh, movements uh, and struggles for social justice or raci racial justice um, and the kinds of contemporary global coalitions we witness for instance amongst uh, different uh, movements in France that call for greater uh, racial uh, equality and social justice also find inspiration in um, in movements, in social movements elsewhere in, in the world. Uh, and in that way, it liberates uh, their imagination from structures of thought that historically tended to marginalize them and exclude them. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, whether we look in the area of languages or, you know, po popular culture, uh, often, you know, there is uh, a desire to use them as platforms uh, for expressing those visions that they do not have the possibility to to express otherwise in prevailing uh, paradigms and prevailing mm -hmm. uh, structures of thought. So I find the value of these testimonials and similar ones. So uh, there are others as well uh, coming from, uh, you know, other parts of the French-speaking world. To me, their value lies uh, in the fact that they inform us on the specific ways in which processes of self-identification uh, relate to the performance of the unfinished work of memory in the context of France. Uh, and by that, I mean the memory of French colonialism and the memory of French slavery. Okay, thank you. I'd like to um, uh, go back to Camelia for our, for our last question and um, going back to the issue of the other. Uh, and this is a question of, of opinion. Uh, why are we afraid, we human beings, why are we so afraid of the other, in your opinion? And who's the other in the works you study or the, the, the area in which you study? Why we're afraid of the other, I'm afraid I can't answer. It's built in, you know, we find it as early as ancient societies trying mm -hmm. to demarcate who they are in relation to the others, even in the Old Testament, you know, you could find some uh, citations about that, how groups identified themselves. But uh, uh, the other half of the question? Yes, who is, who is um, yes. the other yes. in the, in the yeah. areas or mm -hmm. that you study, in the mm -hmm. topics you study? It's uh, ever-shifting, you know. That is, yes. It's never, you know, yeah, the and same. It's, and it's not only the other. The identity is yes. ever-shifting yes. all the time. Identity is something I have come to realize um, mm -hmm. now f uh, after many years of working on this, that identity is not fixated, is mm -hmm. not a fixated category that it's it's the same you know over over time but it changes constantly and I think that has been one of our um, 
methodological problems that we tend to, or, well, I, I don't do that mm -hmm. anymore, thank God, but I, we have tended to study identity as, as a fixated object that doesn't mm -hmm. move. Yes. And that is why, at least in, in the area in which I work, which is Latin America, now I prefer to work about identification because it's a process instead of identity. But it's it's a methodological um, choice. So, yeah, and um, it, all what you are saying about uh, the other and uh, going across borders, I was thinking also of migration, you know, the movements of migration and um, um, subversive places or areas in which um, a protest or a, or a rebellion can, can start taking place. And also all these opposed to this, somehow to this desire to unification in a nation. And then it comes to my, to my uh, mind again, the issue of nationalism, how dangerous it can be, you know, because it tends to deny or to uh, put uh, in an invisible area differences. And uh, that, is, uh, that is very important to understand, I think, the place of the Arab-speaking um, world uh, in the Mediterranean and beyond. And uh, believe me, there are so many ideas that resonate uh, with uh, what I know about Safwa's work in North Africa and with the Hmong people, with what I heard from Mark's presentation about uh, popular culture and music and also my own observations of uh, Latin America. So we are extremely connected. We are facing uh, similar similar problems. So I want to thank you um, today um, for this conversation. Um, again, we have had Camelia Suleiman, Professor of Arabic Studies, Mark Bernstein, Professor of Hebrew, Jewish Studies, and Muslim Studies, and Safwa Babana Hampton, Professor of French and Francophone Studies. Um, there uh, is information available about the conference and the list of resources in the following uh, website, uh, globalstudies.msu.edu. Go to events, and from there, go to um, GSAH Arabic Symposium. So thank you very much for being here today. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, and... Um, Last but not least, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of, uh, of Michigan State University. I want to thank our guests again and our technical producer, Daniel Trego. Tune in for our next podcast on Collaborative Edges and see you next year. Thank you. Thank you, thank for, you having for having us. us. Sure. Bye -bye.